Welcome to this week's Screen Side Up. This is Richard Henschel with University of Illinois Extension Service, and back in the studio for another week is, is, is Russ Higgins, who is the commercial agriculture educator at the Northern Illinois uh, Agricultural Research Center out in DeKalb. Uh, welcome, Russ. Good to be back, Richard. Good. Thank you so much for making a making another another trip in here. Uh, I know last week we talked about uh, the, the kind of the status of crops and corn and beans, and I asked about pasture and and putting up hay and all those kinds of things because that's uh, what farming is about this time of year. And I know at the research center. Uh, for the past few years now, there have been studies about cover crops. Uh, and a cover crop uh, was something that used to be done routinely in terms of crop rotation in times when farms were much more diverse with livestock, corn and beans, pasture, cows, horses to pull the plow, all those kinds of things. And it kind of went away for a while, but now I think uh, research is showing that it has a good a good purpose again. So I wanted to talk this week, if you could, about uh, the research studies that are going on at the at the research center re- related to cover crops and and um, if there is a crop that seems to be working better than others for Northern Illinois. We have several studies underway with cover crops, and one of the advantages of cover crops, especially for farmers in northern Illinois, the majority of them are in a corn and soybean rotation. And as such, they really only have crops in the ground for about five, five and a half months throughout the year. The remainder of the year, the ground is barren. And one of the things we're learning is there is a benefit to having a living root in the ground for as long as you can. So that's why we started working with cover crops. We're trying to plant crops, uh, normally interseeding them here in this part of the state because our winter comes pretty quickly. Uh, We interseed the cover crops in, and when we do so, we'll get a little bit of fall growth. And if they are uh, winter annuals, they will actually have a little bit of growth in the spring as well before we terminate them, and then we plant the corn and soybean crop. In addition to having the living roots in the soil, which feed the microbiota, it also has the benefit of taking up any nutrients that might be in the soil. Okay, so that, I guess, kind of drives me along the road here a little bit. Um, what um, this that kind of says to me, we use these cover crops to not use up the nutrients that remain in the soil after, say, our corner bean crop, but to... Um, keep them available as the plant decays for the next time? We like to use the term recycle. Okay. uh, Because as the plants actually take up the nutrients, once they actually die of their own accord or they're terminated, they're going to decompose, and those nutrients will be made available uh, to the succeeding crop. Okay, so that that beats everything in terms of uh, having a nutrient uh, leached out of the soil profile away from the root zone? Probably the biggest buzzword in agriculture at the moment is nutrient loss and things that we can do uh, to make sure that the nutrients that either we apply or the nutrients that just occur naturally in our good soils that appear because of mineralization, that they stay there and they're used by the crops. Uh, The worst thing or the worst case scenario is, say, for example, in the case of nitrate, it makes it into the water system, eventually makes it to the Mississippi, and could end up at the Gulf of Mexico. And we've struggled for decades in the Delta on that issue, probably. We struggle with the hypoxia zone. Uh, This year, the results just came back. 
the hypoxia zone in 2015 was 6,474 square miles, a little bit above average. Now, certainly, if you're uh, down in Louisiana, that certainly doesn't seem like a small number. And the number that we have been tasked to reach is to have a hypoxia zone of no larger than 1,900 square miles. So we have a fair amount of work to do before we can reach that. And that's just not coming out of Illinois. That's every state, every land surface up and down the Mississippi. That's the entire Mississippi watershed. But that being said, if you look at all of the waterways that Illinois has that feeds into that watershed, Illinois is projected to be responsible for about 20% of the nitrates that make it uh, down to the Gulf and also a fairly large percentage of the phosphorus as well just because of the amount of land that we have draining into the Mississippi. All right. So as I was knowing you were going to be here today and share some time again, um, I came across, uh, I guess, a a topic or a or, or or a subject I wasn't totally sure about, but I, uh, it was the Illinois Nutrient Loss Reduction Strategy. And is that what you're kind of referring to right here? So each of the states within the watershed have been tasked with a plan to make these reductions take place. Uh, what you just shared is Illinois' plan, which was just shared this year with producers uh, here in Illinois. And there's a number of things that we can actually do. And they include the use of cover crops, which we've talked about uh, just previously. They also include the use of no-till. They uh, include the use of buffers uh, in fields so to prevent the nutrients reaching the water as well. Uh, a number of things that farmers are really going to have to start working at adopting to make sure we reach those goals. Interesting. So, so after all that, I want to circle back a minute um, at the, at the research farm, what cover crops have you seen in general at this point, recognizing that it's research and you can't base a good decision on just short amount of research over time, but um, better better crops, which, which what, uh, what's being planted that seems to be working right now? So working with cover crops across all the research farms in Illinois, we're very quickly reminded what a diverse state we have Uh, especially as far as weather and how much longer of a growing season they have in the south compared to the north. When we try to plant our cover crops in mid-August or between mid-August, more likely mid-September, when our crops reach maturity as far as corn and soybean, we really have a pretty limited time frame for those cover crops to get established. And in the last three years, we've had the greatest success with winter rye. Uh, We've had our other cover crops Uh, They've had the ability to get established, but winter has come on so quickly when we use uh, crops like uh, canola or uh, oilseed radish, crimson clover, hairy vetch. We get about two to three inches of growth, but really just not enough growth to really justify the seed cost before they're killed by the winter. Interesting. Well, as you say, uh, lots to learn in in, uh, the great variation uh, throughout the state. Russ, it's always uh, I always listen hard and learn so much when you're here here because you uh, address a lot of issues that uh, um, that are so important to the farmer um, in 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 a, in the bigger picture ought to be so important to every one of us as a homeowner who who enjoys uh, 
sitting down at the dinner table and eating because someone has to grow that for us. Uh, Russ, again, I appreciate your time in the studio today. Uh, we will have you back again at least once more, and we'll be talking about uh, expectations for potential, uh, potential harvests uh, this coming year. Thank you, Russ. This has been Richard Henschel with this week's Greenside Up. We'll talk to everybody again next week.